What will be related here is a dreadful and bloody mystery, one that is still not entirely understood by the author. A mystery the Parisian police themselves not dared look into too deeply, even though the chief of police has the means at his disposal. Because he too knows the medium Kazratik, who at this moment lies in a trance state on my sofa, bound hand and foot, with a dagger in his hands. This is already the fourth seance. By the seventh, everything should have become clear, according to the hypnotic order given him by Lady Florence on the chalk cliffs of Brighton. The solution to this terrible and unprecedented drama, which has set so many of America's and France's best pens in motion, slumbers in a consciousness which only dimly foresees how it will be used. Lady Florence, who must speak because silence is so immensely dangerous for her destiny, has encased her mystery within a mind, within a human soul, and there it has lain well hidden, much more so than it would have anywhere else. None of the other psychiatrists have understood what is wrong with this madman as he incessantly cries, bound hand and foot, with a knife in hand, so pale on a sofa, a green one. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Ben Blackberg. And I'm your other host, Ben LeBate. And tonight, we're reading Kresidok, The Onion Man, and The Spring Fresh Methuselah by Louis Levy, originally published in Danish in 1910, translated by W.C. Bamberger in 2017. Is that right? I think so. Oh, man, I have to have the courage of my conviction. <laughs> I'll try that next time. Uh, and, and our guest tonight is Kelly Aspruth Jackson. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Welcome. Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> uh, well, usually our first question is, are you familiar with this author's work? <laughs> but as we were chatting before we started recording, uh, we have many questions here. <laughs> um, probably most of them we could address to alexander danner friend of the show who suggested this to us mm-hmm. but of course he is not here because that is not how we do this mess <laughs> <laughs> well, well we'll have to have him on uh later for a uh a, a corrections episode hmm. uh, I, I think a special series in which you interrogate people's contributions to your podcast would be a, a good <laughs> extended feature i feel like contributions was in quotes there <laughs> We, 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 we've had some good uh, post-facto jokes and like mm. punch-ups. I feel like that that's really where our, our audience lies, mm. um, our audience specialty. But so, uh, Krasidok, Krasidok, The Onion Man. Krasidok? Uh, question mark? It's a book that has many question marks in it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, how did we enjoy this first page? Well, I was intrigued by the fact that you didn't read all of the like numerous headings subheadings i don't know potential future chapter titles i don't even yeah, understand the, what to make it the piecemeal chapter title this this word soup that's at the top of the page yeah this this sort of like old timey this is what is within this chapter mm-hmm. which uh, i guess i might as well read now uh so chapter one begins with the medium kazratic in his trance state an encased mystery lady florence the shaggy human animal, the odd medium, 
Kazradik's Litany, Through the Hall of Pain, Battle of the Eyes, and finally, The Red Violet Scar. That does seem like a lot for one chapter. Maybe that is a whole, maybe that's for the whole thing. Who knows? Uh, yes. I guess this is in two parts because I think that Kazradik, the Onion Man, and the Spring, the Spring Fresh Methuselah are two separate sections, which I believe are interrelated. But again, Ooh. there's very little information to be found on this title, even if we were to break our rule and do some Googling beforehand. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I mean, maybe we should put put all that on the table. Uh, did, hmm. did you do any Googling? Uh, enough to discover that there wasn't much to discover. <laughs> yeah, I found sort of the same short blurbs in several places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, did, did you find that this was uh, one of uh, uh, Walter Benjamin's uh, recommended stories? No. No. Oh, oh okay. yes. That, that was the thing that kept popping up that like Walter Benjamin recommended this to Gershom Sholem. Hmm. Uh, this is a great book, and it speaks a formidable language. Danish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is funny that, actually, like, I'm, I'm literally looking at the Goodreads mm-hmm. uh, profile for this book, and it has that comment. Like, like this is a book that does not exist uh, in, 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 in many ways uh, uh, in the historical record, uh, except for uh, this, this one fact that Gershom Scholem read the novel in 19... 19- 12 in the German translation. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that this is a novel written apparently by a Danish person, and yet it <laughs> subscribes to that, uh, that era of writing about Europe in which there are only three locations, England, Paris, and presumably somewhere in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. right? And two of them are on this first page. Yeah, yeah. And then America is an entity. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the, the Parisian insane asylum is pretty classic, uh, while also not, not quite being uh, worn, worn, worn out as a trope, I want to say. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I see, you know, I see Parisian insane asylum and like, I don't think, oh, no, this again. I think, oh, this again. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe there'll be a musical number. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe we'll have... Uh, I know. I, I mean, we're going to have murders. That seems reasonable. Most things in Paris involve murders, right? Yeah. Uh, at, in this time frame. Mm-hmm. Later on, it's all love, I guess. Uh. It's, it's interesting, like, beyond just the fact that this is a Danish novel of a certain vintage, like, the fact that this is very clearly a pulp mm-hmm. and, like, has strong pulp influences and, like is is meta it's not a straight pulp it's like a take on the genre uh this early on and uh through this many cultural and linguistic iterations Mm -hmm. is very interesting like it's that kind of artsy surreal thing while still having that uh very very pop culture foundation that is probably my jam and uh, I may get around to this at some point if I ever get around to anything. Yeah, it is, it is definitely a curious... Uh, sorry, I'm trying to find this one book I had made a note of uh, a long, long time ago. But definitely there is something interesting about, like... Um, have either of you read... Um, oh, gosh. Christum uh, Shandy. Yes. No. Which you should do, by the way. That's a good first mm-hmm. page. 
<laughs> oh, I thought, I thought you were saying like you should you should read this, Finn. Like I know you have trouble uh, reading novels, but this one <laughs> reads. Uh, oh my god, this is like a hard mode of reading a novel. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's so interesting. It's it's one of those things that like it's so early in the history of the English novel, but like it's already being so. Uh, meta about like the novel form mm-hmm. and it's, it's one of those things that always reminds me that like i always thought you had to do things like the straight way before you could do it like the parodic way and all these times in literary genres i keep discovering that like actually what started the genre or comes early in the genre has like a lot of inventiveness and weirdness that then gets like smoothed out mm-hmm. um so it is interesting that this this does seem like a very pulpy setup and also a very surreal uh novel and also probably somewhat literary in its uh, aspirations or devices. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I also have the feeling of like, well, the first time I read this page uh, a few weeks ago, <laughs> um, I thought, well, this is boring. Uh, <laughs> and now when I read it again, and especially hearing you read it out loud, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what we need to do. Vin, if you want to just like call and read a book to me, uh, <laughs> I feel like. Um, but I don't know, there's something there's something there's something interesting here that makes me want to read on, which is often like my final question. But I'm starting it here because I'm out of practice talking to people. <laughs> it does throw a million questions at the reader, like right from like sometimes a page has no hook in it. And I'm like, what what was the point? I have to get to page two or three before I even have a sense of what the story is about. But here there's like, OK, so. Because Renick is a medium, so that's potentially interesting. There's something going on there. But then there's also this whole other character that we don't know what her deal is, Lady Florence, right? Who's the source of some sort of mysterious messages. Also, I I guess the idea is that the reason why Kizradik is tied up on the couch with a knife is because he had a premonition about being tied up on the couch with a knife, which is kind of strange causally mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of all hooks mm. <laughs> it's like it's like a cenobite of first pages <laughs> <laughs> and like that's not even getting into the fact that the narrator who according to the subtitle is uh this is from the notes of dr renard de montpensier mm-hmm. so like we're getting this from the perspective of a psychiatrist but also a psychiatrist who has bought into some weird shit. Well, early days psychiatry, right? You know, the days of, of cocaine and sex with your patients is a, a prescription rather than an mm. ethics violation. So, <laughs> yeah, but also like he's bought into whatever this medium mm. Lady Florence stuff is like he's part he's into the conspiracy in addition to being into whatever the hell his version of psychiatry will turn out to be. Well, that probably just means it's a union, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like, yeah, red book communal. Uh, is it the red book? Okay. Uh, this is this is one of those books where, like, I'm sure I would read it and be like, oh yes, like this is exposing my like inch deep knowledge of many subjects. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, there is something mystical about this. Um, the it's funny the the uh, the pose on the couch, uh, which seems very stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, reminded me of um, Edgar Casey. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, is that the, the the sleeping prophet? You know the, the who 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 would 
sleep and supposedly go into trances and uh uh talk about the future mm-hmm. um yeah so that's i mean I, I kind of read that in the tradition of weird trance states um i missed i think that's the thing i, f- I feel like there, there, there there's more here than i give it credit for mm-hmm. uh um sorry and we've already gone past it but i love the fact that like the Paris, the Paris police do not want to look into this too, too deeply, even though the chief of police has the means at his disposal. Mm. Like definitely, like you said, like there's like, it's not just, it's, it's a mystery, but there's a mystery about the mystery. Yeah. Like everything that's mentioned on this page is already in a state of play mm-hmm. that is complicated, but we don't know why. Yeah. That is interesting. I just looked Casey up and I think that, Casey's rise to fame started roughly the year this book was published. Mm. So I agree with you that I see deep similarities, but it doesn't seem like it could have been an influence. Yeah. Mm. Which is interesting. But that that might be a, a confluence of of spiritualism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, as a, you know, yeah. It's coming together. Yeah. Actually, yep. well, we've we've gotten this far and let's let's touch on our first <laughs> sentence. <laughs> what will be related here is a dreadful and bloody mystery. One that is still not entirely understood by the author, which is one of those like one of those things that's very straightforward. But again, it has a hook mm-hmm. like beyond like, you know, I'm not going to assume that because someone tells me that uh, what is related here is a dreadful and bloody mystery that it will necessarily be interesting. But the fact that we take a twist on that by adding the authorial voice and the ignorance of the authorial voice mm-hmm. um, again in that, that sort of state of almost like quantum positioning where we don't know what's going on. We just know things are in motion. Yeah. I feel it's starting off as a, a really, it's giving us a warning label. This is going to have a shaky relationship to like certainty. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I definitely feel like that is a pattern that is reflected in the remainder of the sentences on the page. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> By the end of it, I'm like, I do not know that I'm going to understand this story any better if I read it or don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's what I was responding to. Uh, uh, Let me put it this way. Uh, The first time I read it, I think that first line uh, kind of turned me off in a way because it was very, um, uh, it, it is its own sort of repeated cliche that like, like, I'm going to tell you this terrible story, but like, I'm not sure I even, I even understand it. Yeah. And then like throughout the book, then the person shows like, oh yes, they do understand it. Or like, you know, they understand enough enough, enough of it to, uh, to explicate how dreadful and bloody it is. Uh, but like you said, Kelly, they, uh, like every sentence is like, like, I don't understand this. The, the police don't understand this, even though they could. Uh, there's a medium who uh, may understand this, but he's actually only halfway through it. Mm-hmm. He's on the fourth of seventh. Uh, and I do love that it's like, this is already the fourth seance by the seventh. Like if you hit, this is already the fourth seance. You're like, wow, we're really like, that's a lot of seances. It feels like, mm-hmm. you know, usually like things go wrong at the first seance or like, uh, and then it's like by the seventh, everything should have become clear. Like, wait, what? Like we've got, yeah. Like got- the causality here is not correct. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of a story with seven seances in it. Right? Like that is- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the mystery has set all these pens in motion, but like they still don't know it. Only, only this, uh, it, it slumbers in consciousness, which only dimly foresees how it will be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like everything, like, and then, sorry, th- this is the line that 
really made me sit up and think like, oh, like maybe I will get this uh, when, when Vin was reading it. None of our other psychiatrists have understood what is wrong with this madman. I was like, oh, like, so it's just kind of funny to, to, to have the whole page be like, we don't know. He doesn't know. She doesn't know. Only I know. Mm-hmm. Or like, like there's something there. I mean, he doesn't even say like, you know, he doesn't say only I know. Yeah. But there's something about the phrasing of like, no one else seems to understand the importance of this. Yeah. Which, uh, is nicely. It, it's not just like a, a morass of, uh, confusion to me, but like a nicely, uh, untrustworthy narrator. Right. Yeah. It's one of those setups where it indicates that your narrator is either the only person who understands what's going on or the only person so detached from reality that they can like address this story at all. And probably it's not real in any way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have the sense reading this page of like careening down the hill on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it does make me very curious to see, can the author keep up that momentum mm. for the length of the novel? Right. Yeah. Or do they have to eventually start trying to pay off things that they set up early? Yeah. And based on like, again, I pulled up some of the meager descriptions that I can find of this book. And uh, this one refers to a puma in a hallucinating movie theater, a deaf mute dog, a schizophrenic skeleton, a ghost child, a scalp detective, and a manipulative tapeworm. (laughs) So... I feel like if all that is in here, there's only so slow that it can get. Yeah, yeah I, I found somewhere uh, a reference to uh, the Dr. Renard trying to piece together uh, a a crime and going to a movie theater where the, the movie was the crime, <laughs> which, I don't know, feels like uh, a great a great hook that should be in more, mm. Uh, mm. you know. Mm. More, more, more of that, like in the mouth of madness ending, you know, yeah. where we have the movie theater show us something. Um, Although that is something we occasionally see in like very modern stuff where like the detective or whoever is being like introspective and thinking back on things and like cinematically mm-hmm. they walk into a space and everything plays out in a weird context. Mm-hmm. You mean the like. Uh, I think uh, the TV show Hannibal, like, like he walks into a crime scene and like can imagine what happened there. Mm-hmm. Like that, you, you mean that sort of, or like a Sherlock, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but also sometimes like that it happens in an unrelated space that they've set aside for like considering. Mm-hmm. So like we could see something like this in a modern depiction, being like the detective is puzzling and like walking through the streets and like walks into a theater and starts watching it on the screen because the screen is showing us not necessarily their thoughts, but like our collective is the audience understanding of things as they interrogate it. Mm. Yeah. That is very much Sherlock, right? It's mm. 50% plus of the BBC's total original production budget. They're just mm. kept doing fancy camera tricks. Yep. Well, about 20 minutes in, I feel like we've solved this book. Yeah. That's good for us. Clearly a solid understanding. <laughs> Maybe it's just because you brought up Tristram Shandy earlier then, but I gotta say, just from the first page alone, this feels like it was written as a serial. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? Just the way it's like throwing stuff at you, you know, writing a lot of questions that maybe it will answer and maybe it won't. It just has that feel to me. 
Mm -hmm. uh, oh, no. So this was 1910. Mm -hmm. uh, just some background about uh, Louis Levy, mm -hmm. who I've decided to pronounce that way. Louis Nikolai Levy. Not, not the Louis Levy uh, composer. Uh, mm -hmm. who, who you will find on Wikipedia. You're, you have to go to Danish Wikipedia for this, Louis Levy. Um, but let's see. Born, uh, actually, I don't know. <laughs> All right. He, I like the, <laughs> the biography I read said that he, he became a student in 1894, which feels like it's a nice way. Like, yes, that's when life starts. Hmm. When you start school. 1875 is the date I have for him. Oh. Uh, and he edited a magazine called Youngblood. Uh, in 95 to 96, and then mm -hmm. in 1901, uh, edited the book Youth, which were like very like new, new authors, uh, is, uh, what I'm gathering. Uh, and then he spent several years abroad, including four in Paris. Hmm. Uh, and I think that must have been slightly before this book. Hmm. So I wonder if like, like, do you remember, uh, in, in Kafka's book, America? Is that the book? Uh, there's a part where someone comes to America and sees the Statue of Liberty and it's holding up like, uh, the, the big sword that the Statue of Liberty holds up. Um, and like, there are some, I, I just remember some discussion in class about whether like Kafka did not know what the Statue of Liberty looked like, or like, was this a joke? Mm -hmm. And like, I, I, I wonder if this book is going to have like, uh, very detailed scenes of Parisian life. And like England is just going to be like you walk outside from Big Ben and there's like a moor, or like <laughs> or like the Scottish Highlands like start right there. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was the that that I will say uh, is the only interesting part of his biography, or the, the only part bearing on this book. Mm. Uh, mm. And I, I only bring it up because I I want the credit of translating it from the Danish. <laughs> uh, you worked for it. Gosh, can you imagine? Like so. This is very tangential, mm -hmm. uh, which is unlike us, but, uh, <laughs> imagine, <laughs> um, uh, I really like, um, uh, uh, what is it that I really like? Um, gosh, what's his name? I like, you know, that person who I'll never forget. Hmm. Uh, boy. Uh, okay. You know what? I'm just gonna. Chalk this up to old age. Uh, who wrote huh. Conan? Uh, Howard. Howard. Robert W. Howard. Robert Howard. Wait, uh, no, I can't remember things. <laughs> uh, so I really like him. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like the the, the Conan stories. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert E. Howard. Robert E. Howard. So yes. So uh, I really like uh, Robert E. Howard's Conan stories, and I also uh, know that. Something other people have mentioned about him is that what he really wanted to do was write historical novels, except uh, they didn't pay very well, and they took so long to research to get things right. Mm -hmm. And I always just imagine, like, I mean, he's living in kind of small town Texas mm. for for most of his life, right? So I'm just imagining like the library that he has there versus like the fact that I can go on Google and be like, "What does this Danish mean?" Like, I don't know. I guess. Uh, except for everything else going wrong with the world today, feel very feel very blessed to be alive at this moment. <laughs> mm. Oh, one other thing about uh, Louis Levy, uh, he is very well known for his nursery rhymes. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, very for certain values of. <laughs> yeah. Is he like the mother goose of Denmark? 
Um, I, I don't know that it would go that far. I mean, I feel like Denmark is also a land with a lot of nursery rhymes and fairy tales. Mm. Uh, but uh, I do, I do like the like like the the Venn diagram between like children's nursery rhymes, often comedic and strange, and like straight up surrealist texts. You're just like, oh yes, like this person lives in a shoe. Like if I just told you that, like oh like like this person lives in a shoe, I feel like uh yeah you you could either go nursery rhyme or uh, surrealist work mm-hmm. right is the giraffe in the story on fire okay that's how you tell well googling robert e howard brought up easily the wackest cover of conan the barbarian i've ever seen in my life <laughs> hmm. but we're not we're not here to review that cover so it is it is too bad that i i, I don't think we have found the original 1910 hmm. cover uh well, 1910, that's early enough that maybe the cover was boring, right? Mm. I do think so. Yeah, the cover we do have is is nice in a modern sense. Mm. Like, it's mostly black, the text is all curved in a circle, and then there's this central image of what I think is plant cells. That's what I assumed. It's really, it like, it's a color scheme I like. Like, the, the plant cells are this yellowish-green spectrum in the middle of all the black. Very snazzy. Mm. Um, but not too much to actually say about it because it is not figurative in any way yeah i feel like i don't know yes uh i I wish to say something uh insightful or at least funny about this page uh and i don't have either of those um like i i think if someone read this page and they said this is boring i don't want to read this i would not fight them Mm. uh and if someone said like oh this feels like there, there might be something, uh, with the rest of the book, but like, I, I, I think maybe, maybe like, like you said, Kelly, there's something like in, in the way that a serial fiction can be like good, <laughs> uh, or bad, uh, then like in the next, you know, like very, um, oh gosh, uh, uh, misery sort of sense of like, hmm. remember when, 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 sorry, I, I, I've only seen the movie. I haven't read the book, but when Kathy Bates starts explaining how she felt cheated by the serial uh movie where like oh like i knew like that he had been trapped and now they they made this you know they change it so that he could get out i do wonder which which category this book falls into like it it is completely forgotten is it like a completely forgotten classic how did you know what then we need to we need to contact someone from uh the publisher Mm. or maybe that sounds like the kind of thing we do. The uh, the translator. I know some translators. Hmm. They're nice people. Yeah. I feel like we should have a, a I don't know, is that a spin-off podcast where we like spend eight episodes tracking this down? Or hmm. Hmm. our own serial. So <laughs> I have a question actually about about the literal meaning of some of the sentences here. Sure. So it says this is already the fourth seance. By the seventh, everything should have become clear, et cetera, et cetera. So does that mean that it is already the fourth seance because this is where the uh, where the narrator is dropping us into the story in media res and that later in the story we'll get to the seventh seance? Or is that a prediction of the future and the narrator doesn't know what's going to if the seventh seance will be reached or if or it will actually pay off the way that it's expected to pay off? My read was the second one. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that 
the narrator at least thinks he has a clear view of what's supposed to be going on. And that part of that is that certain events are set based on what's been locked in Kazradik's mind by Lady Florence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like it's it's his belief that there are supposed to be seven seances and that by the seventh, everything should make sense. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit ambiguously worded, especially because it just says by the seventh, everything should have become clear. Yeah. So it, it could actually even be saying, but didn't. <laughs> right. I mean, that's another possible meaning for that mm-hmm. phrasing. Yeah. Yeah. Again, a lot of things are so up in the air on this page mm. that any of those could be accurate, like in a purposeful, purposefully ambiguous sense. Right. Hmm. Should we come back and read the last page of the book? Might be a Patreon bonus. <laughs> well, did did you say that the Spring Fresh Methuselah is actually like a more of a companion book than a, I, I thought it was a subtitle uh, or an alternate title? But you know, I'm not entirely certain where my brain picked up that information. I think that those may be two sections of the story, though. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I I, I also have a. Uh, either a memory or a premonition that uh, there, there's some like I, I don't know. There's something where like he's a psychiatrist investigating this weird uh, event, uh, and then maybe in the second half it's revealed that he is a an, uh, an insane patient at this hospital <laughs> uh, uh, who might be imagining most of most of the things, which is which is what I'm I'm. A little bit dreading hmm. uh, in the book that like this will turn out to just be like um, piled like nonsense upon nonsense mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. like nothing interesting other than like it was all a dream. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the reason that I, sorry, the reason that I uh, had that conclusion is because I downloaded the Kindle sample of it, mm. uh, which has the table of contents, which is just two parts: one, Kazradik, the Onion Man, and two, the Spring Fresh Methuselah. So the true nature of the relationship between those parts, I don't really know mm-hmm. because I only have like the first eight pages or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, could could we uh, step back and 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 you can you can cut out uh, all of my Robert E. Howard uh, flailing about for this um, something something that we definitely have uh, here in the text is the title. Uh, what do you make of the title or titles? Like wh- what do you think? Uh, yeah, that is a very good question. Uh, Krizadak, the Onion Man, and the Spring Fresh Methuselah. Like, so, uh, I only have one well, one thing, which is, uh, onions are things that are notably layered, right? Mm-hmm. Famously. That's kind of, like, kind of their, kind of their deal. Uh, that and making us cry. Yeah. So, so I come into the text expecting something layered and strange, uh, either about the text or about Krizadak. Mm-hmm. Chris, Chris Is that how we decided? Is that Radic? That's my official pronunciation. I don't know <laughs> what on earth. I feel like we, uh, for uh, to pay homage to the book, we should have an official pronunciation, but like it keeps changing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have nothing to say about the name other than the fact that it is difficult to say and like I assume purposely so. <laughs> yeah, like again. I don't know how it plays in Danish, mm. but 
it doesn't look like anything I've seen before. Mm-hmm. I don't think of Danish as a language with a lot of spare consonants in it. Mm. Feels like, I mean, I don't know, maybe Polish. Mm. I was going to guess on, a, on an ethnic origin for Kuzratic. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Maybe, maybe that that's a good point. Maybe the the the, the meaning of the name is that it should feel strange and mm-hmm. possibly foreign, mm-hmm. but like not able to pin down like the foreignness, right? Yep. It's not like it's not like like a fake Chinese name or something, or you know, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what like I was going to say like a, a fake. Uh, a fake American name. It's like I don't even know. Like the only yeah, but but yes. So it has that sense of being strange, and I don't. But it's it's not like so strange, right? It's not like like the science fiction joke about like oh, it's just like X's and Y's, mm-hmm. like like it's close to that, but like uh, I don't know. Like it's like it's almost pronounceable. Yeah, mm. yeah. You you got anything for uh, spring fresh Methuselah, Kelly? How about you? I feel yeah, like- I mean, I I, I feel like. So Methuselah is a really interesting choice, right? Mm-hmm. Biblical figure. Pretty much the only thing of substance uh, to be said about that biblical figure is that he's old. Well, isn't isn't he also like I was I was listening to what was it? Uh Throwing Shade, the Jewish demonology podcast. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about Methuselah and like obviously the thing everyone knows about Methuselah is age, but also wasn't he like a a demon hunter? Um not or maybe I'm that thinking might be, of something that might else. Be a, uh, it could be like a Deuter canonical thing. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, you know expanded universe <laughs> yeah. Bible mythos stuff, right? Uh, between the Midrash and and the extra canonical books and whatnot. But there's nothing. I can't think of anything about that in the Bible. Bible. He's just in the. He's just in the Begats, right? He's um, he's in the chain of transmission from. Enoch to uh, oh, who's at the end of that? So that go down to uh, I don't remember what that which which one of those lines it terminates in. But basically, you know, he's just mm. he's a way of getting from X to Z. But it gives you it gives you enough information to figure out that he's the oldest person mentioned in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Which uh, well, my point is that's an odd thing to juxtapose with being spring fresh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, uh, like, I cannot name the particular uh, plant that would be a good metaphor here, but I'm sure there is something where, like, it lives for a long time and it seems fresh every time it blooms, Mm. like some some annual of some sort. Mm. And like, Mm -hmm. you can imagine that being like, you know, Krasadok, the tulip man, you know, the spring fresh Methuselah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, actually, tulips are probably, I have no idea. I don't know plants. That's not my thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's that. Uh, inch deep information but like mm. uh yeah but compared to like the the contrast between uh onion man and methuselah uh feels like it, it's not like they're opposites uh but you're right that like spring fresh and methuselah feels like an opposite mm-hmm. but like they're like not even in the same uh same category yeah in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. also if you google methuselah mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the, the things that will pop up is uh, a, a a picture of uh, Anthony Hopkins. Yes, he played Methuselah in that Noah, uh, Noah movie. movie oh. That was <laughs> weird, and I don't think very good. But I just do like the idea that, like, oh, Methuselah, you know this guy. Hmm. I was like, wait, wasn't he? Wasn't he Odin? Well, hmm. 
This is how all all mythologies are the same, right? Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah. But going back back to the like Onion Man is such an interesting phrase for a title because it like doesn't immediately imply like like you have to go through jumps to get to layers. Yes. Like you hear Onion Man, this is like an onion seller. Or like maybe you're thinking, you know, in terms of nursery rhymes or fairy tales, you know, like a guy who is an onion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think like just based on everything we've seen so far, that is an intentional, not quite a misdirect, but like uh, an intentional move to get you thinking of something that doesn't make sense. And like combining those images in your head as you come into a text that is something different than that. Yeah, there's so many weird things going on with Kazranik on the first page, right? Mm-hmm. He's a medium. He's been hypnotized. He's friends with the cops. Psychiatrists can't figure out what's going on, right? <laughs> the whole whole mess of things. And none of those have anything to do with that list of possible things you might have thought from the term the onion man. Yeah. Right? He doesn't seem to sell onions. He's not a dude who's an onion. <laughs> Maybe this layer thing, but that's a real stretch. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a notable sense. Like, there's just no... Again, just just many, many, many different questions and no answers. Yeah. Hmm. I, I feel like that should be our final uh, <laughs> our final word on the subject. <laughs> uh, many questions, no answers. But uh, I, I, I think we, we, we should add, uh, I, I did find one article in Danish on Lewis Levy who describes him also as forgotten. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So it's not just like a literature and translation problem here. It's yeah. like he's he's just not talked about uh in his host country uh native country uh and also to answer a question we had uh off mic uh according to this article he is jewish oh mm. good to know which which also i think goes back to that like methuselah you know like it's not just like a, a fun name he picked up or like something he thinks about in terms of like uh the lineage to i mean for, from from adam to jesus yeah it's not just it's also not just a generic synonym for old Mm-hmm. Like it's something that would have a little more weight than like if like a random ass white Christian American said it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I have one other thing I Googled. Okay. Mm. Because the name, well, so, okay. Uh, the other thing we get uh, from the notes of, that's a very common, uh, that feels like a very common uh, title or mm-hmm. subtitle, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Renard, like, okay. Like most famous Renard for me is the Fox, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so I think about like, oh, he's going to be clever or something. Uh, the Montpensier, uh, Montpensier, I, I'm guessing on that. I, I thought at first that that was going to be like a, a joke on like, it's got like Ponce, which is like, like to think. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, like the thinker. Actually, Mont- Montpensier is a place. Uh, oh. Uh, but no, no, totally. I was thinking about this, like, oh, like this is a book about like uncertainty and, and not knowing something. So like, we're going to, we're going to go from like, the mountaintop of thought to like some abyss of uh, ignorance, or we're going to realize that that's where we always were. Um, uh, happy 2022, everyone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, that that's all I have to say about that. Uh, but it is a real place, but mm-hmm. obviously like, even though it's a real place, like the author chose it. Yeah. With the name. You could have done anything. Uh, yeah, no, we should have, we should have ended. We should have ended on, on, on your point about this being only questions. Too late. Uh, well, would you read it? Uh, 
Well, I've just looked it up again and mm-hmm. saw that it was 150 pages. Uh, I'm sure those are not uh, a breeze to get through. Um, uh, first, let me see if my library has it, because mm. I like to support my library. Um, uh, but yeah. Oh, here it is. They have it as, as an ebook. Oh. Okay. I'm checking it out now. <laughs> there we go. You guys want to meet back in, say, six months when I've mm. finished it? I don't know. How about, how about, how about you, Kelly? Uh, I think this is a great example of something where I would be very interested to read a first chapter, and I seriously doubt that I would get past that. Uh, <laughs> it, I, it, it's just so breathless. I don't, I don't know how I would get a handhold to climb my way through the rest of the work. Yeah, this is, this is one of those things that might be my kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like, pulpy, surreal, not particularly grounded but with a sense of like texture and a sense of humor Mm -hmm. pretty clearly like the fact that uh, at the end of the page like when he's relating the cries of the onion man uh like like so pale on a sofa a green one (laughs) like yeah that is a solid bit well like how, how perfect to give us information but not to any of the questions that you, you <laughs> yeah. raised earlier. Right. Yeah. But also touching back on something green. Mm, that's true. Well, I was going to say this before. When you said you felt like this was there was some threat that this is the sort of story that could end and it was all a dream then, mm-hmm. I had the immediate thought when reading this the first time, okay, so you know how it's against the rules to have your narrator die in the story because then how did they narrate the story? Mm-hmm. I feel like I have no guarantee about like the, the narrator could die. <laughs> yeah. This could all be taking place in a snow globe. Like I, there are no rules <laughs> after the first page. Yeah. This is definitely that brand of like literary surrealism where like, this is, this is like in that same category as like Gogol where mm. all bets are off. Uh, I, I, I do like the idea, Kelly, <laughs> that like it could turn out that this is part of the, um, uh, what do they call that again? The the connected universe of like Hill Street Blues and everything. Oh, of, of uh, Saint Elsewhere. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> that would be very funny. Like oh. <laughs> the Tommy Westfall. Thank you. Universe. Yes. Hmm. The Westfall theory. Well, uh, I think on that note, uh, Kelly, uh, where can the people find you? Uh, well, I don't have that much of a social media presence. Uh, I am on. Congratulations. Uh, uh, <laughs> I am on the um, I am on the Chimera uh, with with Vin, uh, actual play podcast. Um, and uh, if people really wanted to hear a lot more of my voice, I suppose <laughs> they could, because uh, my day job is that I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister. So if you look up, say, my congregation, which is the First Unitarian Society of Madison's. YouTube channel, uh, you can find an almost unlimited amount of me talking into a microphone, although <laughs> not as much about obscure books as this. Although some. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of them, right? <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Finn LeBate. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at MrReciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, 
at thechimera.space or on Twitter at ChimeraPod or on your podcast app of choice. And I've been your other host, Ben Blattberg. You can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com and we'll meet you back here next week. Weather permitting. That's how we end an episode. Right? Yeah. <laughs> with, 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 with normal human politeness. <laughs> I, will, I will remember that. Okay. <laughs>